0: Hi, my name is Haley. I am in the middle school ministry here at Lake. I went to Sea camp and I'm going to the go-away camp, and I'm fairly new here. Hi, my name is Ainsley Mainness. I am also in the middle school ministries at Lake Avenue Church. I also went to Sea camp as you can see, and I am also going to summer camp with middle school. Our scripture reading today is from Genesis 48 and 49. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. Genesis forty-eight fifteen through 16. Then Jacob blessed Joseph and said, may the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. Genesis 49, 1 through 2, 28 and 33. Then Jacob called for his sons and said, Gather around so I can tell you what will happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father Israel. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel, and this is what their father said to them And when he blessed them, giving each the blessing appropriate to them. When Jacob had finished giving instructions, To his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed, breathed at his last, and was gathered to his people. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Good morning. If there's any one thing I've learned about life, it's this. Life never goes exactly according to plan. Each of our lives take unexpected twists and turns that lead us down side streets that we never could have anticipated. Some of these side streets are of our own making and others are entirely outside of our control. Consider some of the names of these side streets. They go by names like biopsy, and layoff. Pregnant. Not pregnant. Restraining order. Widowed. Bankruptcy. Divorce. Betrayal. And I could go on and on. And probably all of us here today have had at least one of these side streets in our lives at one time or another. Because life never goes exactly according to plan. And because of this, when people get to the end of their lives and they look back on where their lives ended up, they struggle to make sense of how it all fits together. And today we're going to look At one person's final moments as he reflects on the side streets and the twists and turns of his life after more than a hundred years on this earth. And as he reflects on his life, he comes to some important realizations. The person I'm talking about is Jacob. And today we come to the end of our sermon series on the life of Jacob from the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And we spent these last nine weeks looking at Jacob's very strange life, with all of its twists and turns and side streets. Jacob was one of the forefathers of the ancient nation of Israel, the son of Isaac and Rebekah, the grandson of Abraham and Sarah. And before Jacob had even been born, God had revealed to his mother, Rebekah, that Jacob would be the one who would advance God's plan to the next generation. And that plan was to use Abraham, to use Isaac, and then to use Jacob and Jacob's descendants, to reverse the curse of sin in our world, and to offer in place of that curse the blessing of salvation that would be offered to all the nations and all the peoples on this earth. And as Christians, we believe that this promise that began in the first book of the Bible with Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob is fulfilled in the coming of Jesus and the creation of the church in the New Testament part of the Bible. Now, Jacob was the second born of twins, born grasping his older brother Esau's heel. In fact, that's how his parents got his name. Jacob is a play on words for the Hebrew word heel grasper. And Jacob lived up up to that name as he's one of the sketchiest people that you will encounter in the entire Bible. And we followed through the weeks the twists and turns of his life as he exploited his older brother Esau's hunger in order to purchase Esau's firstborn birthright, and as he conspired with his mother Rebekah to deceive his father Isaac into giving him the older brother blessing, And after deceiving his father and stealing his older brother's blessing, Jacob had to run for his life, miles away to Haran to escape being killed by his older brother. And while living with his uncle in Haran, Jacob gets married twice and has 13 children, 12 sons and a daughter, Dinah. And after two decades of living in exile with his uncle, Jacob decides to take the long journey back to Canaan where his extended family lives. And this would mean that Jacob would have to face his past sins and make peace with his older brother. And so while on his long journey home, the night before, he'll face his brother Esau, Jacob has a transformative encounter with God on the bank of a river, so profound and so transforming that God changes his name from Jacob, heel grabber, to Israel. Last weekend, Pastor Greg led us through Genesis 33 as Jacob begins to reconcile with his brother Esau and as he settles back into the land of Canaan. But a lot happens between chapter 33, where we were last week, and chapters 48 and 49, where we end our series today. And most of those chapters focus on Jacob's 11th son, Joseph. And we don't have a lot of time to talk about Joseph's story. That would be a whole other nine or ten week sermon series. But let me give you a couple highlights to catch us up to our reading today. After reconciling with his brother, Jacob settles in Canaan with his wives and children. And ten of Jacob's sons become jealous of their younger brother Joseph, Jacob's 11th son. And so while they're all away from home, the older sons sell Joseph as a slave and report back to their father that Joseph has gone missing and is most likely dead. Jacob is heartbroken because Joseph was his favorite son. But unknown to Jacob or anyone else in Jacob's family, Joseph ends up being sold as a slave in Egypt. And while in Egypt, Joseph goes through a whole series of difficult twists and turns of his own life. But when the Egyptian king has two dreams that no one else in Egypt can interpret, Joseph alone is able to interpret these dreams as God revealing to the king of Egypt that a terrible famine is about to take place throughout the whole ancient Near Eastern world. And Joseph's interpretation is so persuasive that the king promotes Joseph from being a slave to being the governor of Egypt, and he puts Joseph in charge of preparing Egypt for this coming famine. No longer a slave, but now as a governor, Joseph takes on an Egyptian name, marries an Egyptian wife, and begins to have children of his own. Now, because this terrible famine is so devastating to the ancient world, Joseph's older brothers eventually travel to Egypt in desperation to buy food for their families, and Joseph ends up reconciling with his brothers. And once Jacob finds out that Joseph is alive, Jacob and his entire family leave Canaan and relocate to Egypt in order to survive the famine. And the book of Genesis ends by pointing out that this amazing sequence of events demonstrates how God preserves His plan and His promise to bring God's blessings to all the peoples of the earth by preserving Jacob's family during this famine by giving them refuge in Egypt. So today's readings from Genesis 48 and 49 About Jacob's final words to his sons and his death all take place in Egypt, not in Canaan where we left off last week. And in chapter 48, Jacob calls Joseph his 11th son, the son he thought was dead for so many years And Joseph brings his own sons with him. And chapter 48 is an adoption ceremony where Jacob legally adopts Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, as his own sons. And by adopting his grandsons, Jacob gives Ephraim and Manasseh full inheritance rights and puts them on equal footing with Jacob's other 11 sons. After this adoption ceremony in chapter 48, there are actually 13 tribes that comprise the 12 tribes of Israel. I put them on the screen, you'll notice that Joseph's name disappears, and Ephraim and Manasseh are considered half-tribes. So these two half-tribes along with the other 11 tribes comprise the tribes of Israel. And God will use each one of these tribes throughout history in His plan of bringing God's blessing to the rest of the world. For example, from the tribe of Levi will come Moses, his brother Aaron, and his sister Miriam. And together they will lead Israel out of their slavery in Egypt 400 years later. And Israel's first king will be born from the tribe of Benjamin, and their second king born from the tribe of David. And it all starts here with Jacob's 11 sons and two grandsons. After adopting and blessing Ephraim and Manasseh, chapter 49 gives us an account of Jacob blessing each of his other 11 sons and then dying. But I really want to focus our attention on chapter 48, verses 15 and 16. The prayer of Jacob over Joseph, Ephraim, and Manasseh. Let me read part of it again. May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. The God who has been my shepherd. It's the very first time in the Bible anybody calls God their shepherd. At least a thousand years, maybe much, many more years before David wrote the 23rd Psalm that we prayed earlier. At least 2,000 years, maybe many more, before Jesus came into the world and declared himself to be the good shepherd. The biblical theme of God being a shepherd of God's people begins here. With Jacob. It's a beautiful picture of God. Shepherds care deeply for the sheep in their flocks. Shepherds protect their sheep, risking their own lives to keep the sheep safe. When when I was a director of chapel at Azusa Pacific University, I got to know Margaret Feinberg, a best-selling Christian author and speaker who would come and speak in chapel at APU. And in one of Margaret's books, her book, Scouting the Divine, she recounts how she spent a year with a shepherd in order to better understand this image of God. And Margaret says that the shepherd would take Margaret into the field each day and then just whisper, sheep, sheep, sheep. And at the shepherd's whisper, all of the sheep would run to the shepherd, and the shepherd would greet each one of the sheep by name. There's an intimate bond that exists between shepherd and sheep. And I get the sense from this prayer that that Jacob has come to know God in this way over time through experience. I get the sense that he has developed this understanding of God as he has navigated the unexpected side streets of his life. And from this description of God, I think Jacob has come to at least four realizations about his life that are just as true of our lives. And I want to take a few minutes and just share these four realizations with you. Realization number one. When we know God as our shepherd like Jacob did, we begin to realize that God has been guiding our lives all along. God has been guiding us all along. God has been my shepherd all my life to this day When we intimately begin to know God as our shepherd, we begin to see all the the ways God's hidden hand of providence has been with us in the twists and the turns of life. And, And it's not to say that hard things don't happen to us or that our hurts aren't real, but it's to say that we begin to realize in some strange and mysterious way, God was there with us. One of my favorite books is A.W. Tozer's classic book, The Pursuit of God. And at the very beginning of that book, Tozer reminds us that God is always previous to our actions. Long before we seek God, God is seeking us. Long before we desire to know God or follow Jesus, God is stirring that very desire up within us. God is always the initiator. God is at work long before we know God is working. This, this last summer, my friend Brenda Bertrand helped me lead a class on spiritual formation here at Lake Avenue. And some of you know Brenda. She's a pastor and an army chaplain and one of my former colleagues. And one of the things Brenda did during our class was she invited participants to chart their spiritual autobiography, the, the, the high points and the hard points. And then she invited us to, through prayer, Ask God to help us discern how God had been with us in all of those moments. And it was amazing to watch people begin to connect the dots and to see ways that God had been present with them that they can see now that at the time they were unaware of. When this realization begins to really take root in our lives, it changes how we look at our past We begin to see our life story with all of its side streets as part of a larger story, as part of God's biggest story. We begin to realize that God has been with us long before we knew God, long before we even acknowledged that God was real, that God has been with us all along. Realization number two. When we know God as our shepherd, like Jacob did, we begin to realize that the hardest parts of our lives have brought the most transformation. The hardest parts have brought the most transformation. Jacob had a lot of hard parts in his life, and maybe one of the hardest was the disintegration of his family. When Jacob conspired with his mother to deceive his father and steal his older brother's blessing, Jacob tore his family apart. And it was so bad that he had to live in exile for 20 years, and he never saw his mother, Rebecca, again because she died during that 20-year exile. Jacob's family was a mess. But it was on his journey home to face that mess And to reconcile with his brother Esau that Jacob had the most transformative experience of his life on the bank of the river. This is how life is. I went through one of the hardest seasons of my life about 12 years ago. And it lasted about two years. And some of you have heard me talk about that two-year season of my life before. And during that season, my life was characterized by fear and confusion and pain. And add to that, during one year of that two-year period, I didn't have a full-time job. And so as a single dad with four sons, I did everything I could think of to try to support myself and to support my boys. I, I picked up college classes part-time, so I was teaching theology at Biola and at Azusa Pacific, and I was teaching world religions at a secular university, but that wasn't enough to support myself. So I started as a substitute teacher at a, uh, teaching Bible to middle schoolers at a Christian school, and I was a, a package delivery helper with UPS during the holidays. And yet, even with all of these part-time jobs, it still wasn't enough. And during that year, I burned through much of my retirement just to stay afloat. But as I look back on those two years now, a side street I never imagined my life would take, I can now see so many important ways that God was transforming me. He was humbling me. He was shaping new character qualities in me. He was giving me more empathy towards other people. He was teaching me to trust him. He was drawing me closer to my sons. And sometimes I wonder if that experience was the only way that some of those things could take place in my life. When we know God is our shepherd, we begin to realize that it's the hard times That have brought the most transformation. Realization number three, when we know God as our shepherd, as Jacob did, we begin to realize that our failures were opportunities for grace. Our failures were opportunities for us to experience God's grace. At the end of his life, Jacob has a lot of regrets there are many ways that he's failed. He's failed his father by lying to him. He's failed his brother Esau by conning him and stealing from him. He's failed his sons by playing favorites. But in Genesis 33, when Jacob faces Esau, in Genesis 33:11, Jacob says, God has been gracious to me. And indeed, God has. Sometimes we're tempted to think that the Old Testament is all about works and the New Testament is all about grace, but I'm here to tell you the whole thing is about grace. The Bible is saturated with grace from beginning to end. The truth is is that God has always operated according to grace with imperfect men and women. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lived by grace, and we do too. And as Jacob looks back on his failures and regrets, he can now see that those were opportunities for grace. The Bible makes no effort to sanitize Jacob for us. There's no revisionist history here. There's no publicist with talking points to to try to make Jacob seem better than he really is. Jacob's story is told with unflinching honesty. His character flaws and faults on full display for us as readers. And it's because the hero of the story isn't Jacob. The hero is God. The God who created the world, the God who after sin entered into the world, initiated a rescue plan through Abraham, through Isaac, and even through heel grabber Jacob. One of my very good friends was a hospice chaplain for many, many years, And I asked her recently what it was like through those years to be with so many people close to death. And she told me that many of the people that she's been with have long held secrets and regrets that they want to confess to her. And I remember thinking, what if we looked at those regrets? What if we looked at our failures as opportunities for grace? What if instead of experiencing shame and embarrassment, when we remember our failures, we experience gratitude and praise for God's grace that lifts us up and doesn't abandon us to our sins? What if we remember the words of the New Testament in Romans 5.20, which says, where sin increased, grace increased all the more? that our sins do not exhaust the grace of God. There is sufficient grace in Jesus to address all of our failures, our regrets, our faults. Jacob begins to realize this. And one final realization. When we experience God as our shepherd like Jacob did, we begin to realize that our circumstances do not limit God's plan. Our circumstances do not limit God's plan. In these two chapters of Genesis, I am struck with Jacob's calm attitude towards the future. Remember that God had promised to give Jacob and his descendants the land of Canaan. But now as he prepares to die, he's not living in Canaan, he's living in Egypt. But in Genesis 48, 21, Jacob says, I am about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of Of my fathers. There's no doubt or hesitation in Jacob's words. Even though his circumstances make that appear incredibly unlikely, Jacob's not panicking. You know, old Jacob would be scheming even on his deathbed. But transformed Jacob is walking by faith. In fact, did you know that the New Testament points to this incident from Genesis chapter 48. As the highlight of Jacob's faith. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, we find a litany of women and men who lived by faith throughout the Old Testament. And when the author gets to Jacob in Hebrews eleven twenty-one, the author says, by faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. It's the only act of faith mentioned about J- Jacob in Hebrews 11. And it's a supreme act of faith because he blesses Joseph's sons and his own sons in faith that they will eventually return to the land of promise. My friend, when we know God is our shepherd, we don't panic when life takes us down unexpected twists and turns. My wife Cindy likes to tell the story about 20 years ago when she lived in Mississippi and they were all at Reformed Seminary in Mississippi. And at that time, she had two small children, and um, during that time, McDonald's opened their very first restaurant in Mississippi with an indoor play area. And so Cindy and a friend who was also at Reform Seminary with small children made plans to take their children to this new, innovative, air-conditioned play place, equipped, complete with a Winnie-the-Pooh-themed indoor playground. The problem was that the new McDonald's was an hour drive away. And so as they started driving in the van to the new McDonald's, they had to drive by the old McDonald's that Cindy's kids were used to going to. And as they drove by the old McDonald's and they saw the old McDonald's out the window, they started crying because they wanted to stop. In fact, they cried the entire hour drive to the new McDonald's. And Cindy kept trying to tell them, trust me, the new McDonald's is so much better. But they couldn't imagine how a new McDonald's could be any better than the McDonald's that they knew. And so they cried all the way until they pulled up to the new McDonald's. And as soon as they walked into this new, much larger McDonald's, complete with the sparkling Winnie the Pooh-themed indoor play area and the air-conditioned new building, they immediately stopped crying and said it was the most amazing thing they'd ever seen. (laughs) And we are all like that, aren't we? All we can see is our circumstances. In light of where we've been before... And we have trouble trusting God when life takes us down side streets that we didn't expect. My friends, the side streets in your life do not take God by surprise. When an unexpected twist or turn comes, God is not wringing his hands in heaven saying, wow, I never could have seen that coming, now what do I do? When we know God as our shepherd, we realize that God's plan does not depend on our circumstances. Life. Jacob doesn't come to these realizations until later in his life. It wasn't until he was close to his deathbed after more than 100 years on earth that he began to see that God had been working in his life all along, that the hard parts were the most transformative, that his failures were opportunities for grace, and that his circumstances didn't dictate God's plan. But my friends, we don't have to wait until the end to know these things. Thousands of years after Jacob died, God would send his son, a descendant of Jacob, into our world. And Jesus would declare, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for my sheep. We can know God as our shepherd now through his son Jesus, the shepherd God incarnate. And as we close in prayer today, I want to especially address those of you who are here this morning who are on the outside looking in of knowing God as your shepherd through Jesus. Those who have not crossed the line of faith and trusted in Jesus as their Savior, that he laid down his life for you, for you to become one of the sheep in his flock. And I'm going to pray a very simple prayer, and I would invite you, if you're here today, and you're on the outside looking in, and you sense God inviting you to step over the line of faith in the silence and quietness of your own heart to pray along with me, and to trust in Jesus for him to be your shepherd. Let's pray together. If you're here today and that describes you, I invite you in in your own heart to pray along with me. God, I realize that I don't know you as my shepherd. And I have regrets, ways that I've failed you and failed people in my life. And I turn away from those sins And I turn to you, believing that Jesus laid down his life for me. I trust in him. Thank you for receiving me as your sheep and promising to guide my life all the days of my life. Father, for the rest of us, may we come to know you as our shepherd ever more deeply each day. May we not panic At the side streets of life, but trust you in Christ's name. Amen. If you're here today and you prayed along with me, I'm not gonna ask you to stand or embarrass you, but I do wanna invite you to fill out this Connect card. There should be a bunch of them in the the pews in front of you um, to fill out the the part about your name and address. Um, And then when it says, please contact me about, I just wanna invite you to check the box, becoming a follower of Christ. I promise we won't show up at your door, but we'd like to send you some things in the mail to help you get started in your life of faith. And so after we have a little commissioning time in a minute, and then after we have a closing benediction and a song, um, there'll be ushers at the doors collecting these cards. And I encourage you to fill that out, to give the usher your card as an act of accountability that you've prayed with me today and that you're taking that step. And again, we'll get some information to you by mail. Let's praise our shepherd God together.